I'm about ready to pray. Let's say, let's go have dinner <laughs> after those announcements. Man, food sounds good. Hey, we've been in the middle of a series uh, as we've been reading through Immersed Prophets. And I know some of you have been joining along in this prophet series. And I've just really enjoyed it. This is going to be the last message. And this is the last week for those of us who are reading through that. And it's been, I found, really fantastic. At times it's challenging. Some of the stuff in the prophets is really discouraging. But it's always great to hear how God has a plan and what God's plan is and the hope that the Lord has. And so grateful for you journeying through this with us together. I uh, just want to begin the message this morning with the word, one word, restoration. It's a powerful word, restoration. What comes to your mind when you think of the word restoration? Perhaps you might imagine your health or your marriage being restored or you might imagine your youth or your family being restored or maybe, you know, your failing uh, career you know, your self-esteem being restored. Perhaps whatever you imagine, whatever you picture, we need to be reminded that our God is a God of new beginnings. Our God is a God of second chances and God is in the restoration business. That's great news for us. And Job, in the Old Testament, experienced this. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Job, but he had a period of extreme devastation where he was struggling with himself and also with God during that time of difficulty. And then at the end of the book, he had everything restored. His health, the material goods, his home, his lands, uh, the money. Uh, he got another wife. He had new children or new kids. And we realized that it wasn't a complete restoration because even though he had a new wife and new children, they can't replace the people who were lost. They, they're gone. And so this morning we're going to look back to another prophet. We're going to look back to Joel in the Old Testament to see how God speaks a word of hope, of, hope to, of restoration to the people of Israel who are really in a dark and desperate time in the nation. Now Joel, just to give you a little bit of context, Joel uh, lived about 400 years before Christ was on earth. And during his lifetime, Israel was really going through a period of darkness. Because 600 years earlier, about 1000 BC, Israel had been a great economic and military power in the Middle East. In fact, during the reigns of Kings David and Solomon, they were a significant uh, power in that region. And their wealth grew. They had great programs of building temples and and uh, palaces were undertaken, and the borders were expanded. But all of that changed quickly, uh, especially after Solomon died. The, the, kingdoms, uh, began to, the kingdom began to become divided, the north versus the south. And in the middle of that division, uh, they were never as strong as they were when King David was their king. And ultimately, both kingdoms went through a steady decline, literally economically, morally, politically, until ultimately... Uh, other powers, other pagan armies and pagan powers came in and conquered them. First the north, but then the southern part of the kingdom. And eventually a, a generation were taken captives back to the, uh, the conquering nation. And they lived in captivity for a generation or two. Then they were allowed to come back to Israel. And about a hundred years after they came back, that's when Joel was born. In spite of being home back in Israel and having rebuilt the temple and Israel was still just a, a kind of a, a pawn of a foreign power, even though they were back in their homeland. The temple was no bigger. The people were not, in, were not had no more freedom than they had had earlier. The night of Israel's long oppression was still dark, and pagan government officials 
who knew nothing of God's holy laws, ruled over them. They told them how to live, and they were allowed kings, but they were still kings that were basically like puppets underneath a pagan king. And so Israel was badly in need of restoration. And Joel brings them news of restoration from the Lord. He brings news of a new day that God had promised to Israel. And so Joel's bringing messages to the people from God in the midst of their disaster and their sorrow. Joel promised God through God that there would be joy that would come after sorrow. Joel promised the land or the hand of God working in their midst of their sorrow. The people of Israel were at a low point at this at this moment in their nation. They were feeling hostility, anger, sadness, guilt, uh, fear, disappointment, and tiredness. Do you, do any of those emotions sound fresh today? I mean, that's kind of what we're experiencing so much in our world and in our context today. And amidst this darkness. Joel saw a light from heaven, much like a sunrise after a dark night, and it was a hope for the people of Israel, and he preached hope to the people. It was a message of hope, I think, that we need to hear today as well. So I want us to go to Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 20, and we're going to read this passage, and we're going to see what God said to Israel, but also what God says to us today. So Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. And this is God speaking. He says, I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into the parched wastelands. Those in the front will be driven into the Dead Sea. And those at the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. Surely the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, O land. Be glad now and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain, and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. It's a lot of locusts, right? I mean, that's a lot of locusts. And he goes on, he says, It was I who sent this great destroying army against you, and once again you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced. So I want us to just take stock of what was going on for the people and what they were going through. It was a tough time for Israel. It was an upside down time for them. There was a lot going on in, in Israel that was hard. And some of it seems like a domino effect where one thing happens and then another negative thing and then something else bad happens. And then we look back to verse 20 and 21 and it shares with us that an army had been oppressing the nation of Israel. There was destruction, loss of freedom, fear. There was loss of life. And there had been barriers and borders had been uh, broken and breached and the people were under attack. And violence was common. It simply wasn't a safe place to be or a safe time to be in Israel. 
Then it goes on in verse 22, it tells us there are brown pastures and the wild animals are hiding. And imagine how bad it has to be for wild animals to run away and to migrate away. And then we find that there are barren trees bearing no fruit. And they're all over the place because there's a great drought that's going on in the land of Israel. And nature was bone dry. Animals were scarce for hunting. It was like nature was holding its breath. And the people were suffering. Nothing is growing. Nothing is, is, there's nothing to eat in the land. And verse 24 goes on and tells us that not only is the drought affecting the wild things from growing, but the storage places of the farmers are completely empty. Nothing here is growing. Nothing is being stored up. There's no food for the hungry, and they're hungry and they're thirsty. The people were in need, and there was no way to help them because there was nothing that people could share. They had nothing to provide to give away to anyone. And then we're told if it's not bad enough, in verse 25, there were swarms of locusts, right? I find it interesting that Joel doesn't mention how much the locusts ate. He mentioned how many years they ate, literally. Did you notice that in verse 25? These locusts ate years from the people's lives and their livelihoods. Something has to be devastating when you talk about it in terms of years in that situation. And then we get to verses 26 and 27, and it mentions shame or disgrace. And we find that odd, but but for the people of Israel, this wasn't odd. Joel was telling them that these disasters had come upon them because they had left God behind. They had turned away from God, and they had turned to worshiping other gods, and they were turning away from him. And the end result was shame because of their sin. And I want to just pause and and be clear. I'm not saying necessarily that something like the coronavirus is God's judgment in, in this time or anything of that nature, but in Joel's context, it's very clear that God judged his people, and there was much sorrow as a result of his judgment. And our situations are similar in that we are feeling some of the same things that they felt because we're kind of in a hard, upside-down kind of time in our own world, in our own culture. And so the people of God were dealing with occupying armies, brown fields, barren trees, like no animals for hunting, empty fields, no food, drought, swarms of locusts, and shame. That's a lot to deal with, isn't it? That's a lot going on. I just want to pause and ask, you know, what are you dealing with today that maybe has brought sadness or difficulty or shame into your life? It may not be like swarming armies or barren fruit or barren trees or, you know, uh, brown pastures or swarming locusts, but what kind of darkness do you face? Is it a boring life? Is it a dead-end job, a looming illness? Uh, Do you face the darkness of a failing marriage or a prodigal child or maybe the loss of a loved one? Do you face the darkness of financial problems, maybe bills piling up, or maybe you face the darkness of a self-centered life or you're struggling, you have no inner peace in your life right now? And I think those things can lead us to ask, okay, where is God in the midst of all of this darkness that has come into our lives? And I want us to stop and think, I think there's some key questions we can ask of this passage, and also we can ask of ourselves today. So one, what does God do? What is God up to? Who is God in the midst of this suffering? And lastly, what promises does God make in these hard times? So I think these are key questions for people of faith, right? 
Our faith is built on a relationship. Our lives are built on God. Uh, His precepts, our faith in Jesus Christ, our lives are built and rooted in in our hope in in God Almighty. And as I was reading through Joel, I saw all this sorrow that the people of Israel were experiencing. And yet, as you read through it, you also hear and see hope. You see promise. You see restoration that God is offering moving forward and into the future. And so again, some key questions for us. What does God do? Who is God in the midst of this suffering? And what promises does God make in these hard times? So let's go back and look at this passage again. So let's look at God's responses to their sorrow, to their trouble. First of all, we can see God promises he'll provide. In verse 20, God promises to drive out this evading army and and destroys them. And the mental picture we get from Scripture is that God will drown these armies in oppressing Israel and their floating corpses are going to stink up the whole place. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? But the enemies are gone because God's mighty hand has been at work on their behalf. And then God commands them to not be afraid because he's making pastures green again and trees are going to bear fruit and at his command and the rains are going to come each season and, you know, he's going to relieve the drought. Do you believe that, that our God is that kind of God? Do you, do you believe that God has control over creation and that he makes creation do as he wills? I do. I believe that, that our God has the world in his hands, that literally... God says he can do as he wills in his creation. And he says, do not be afraid because I cause good things to happen. I will bless you, God says. And we're called to rejoice when he does. We are to give praise that God sends us his, message, his blessings, that, that God provides for our needs. So verse 24 tells us the end result of all these blessings that flow from the goodness of God. It's that the food storage is full again. It's not just filled, but verse 24 tells us it's filled to abundance. It's overflowing that God's provisions and his blessings literally are abundant to overflowing. We also see in this passage that God promises to restore. In verse 25, he tells us that God will restore and repay what the locusts have destroyed. God is about restoration. And I imagine God telling them that he's going to restore their fields. He's going to restore their homes and their livelihood and their land and their streams and in everything that's required for living. And disaster happens. And I think it's wonderful that we know that God is at work in our restoration. He never stops working. Just a picture of that. Um, recently, a very good friend of mine, probably my best friend in high school and college, uh, passed away from a terminal uh, cancer disease. And it was really sad. And... Uh, he had been a good friend in the Lord. He had a strong faith in high school and college, and we shared that as brothers in Christ. And then I got news that he had terminal cancer about a year ago, and uh, we spent some time together. We were able to get a few days together at different places over the last year, and grateful for that. But in his adult life, unfortunately, he struggled with mental illness, and that mental illness actually really uh, was hard on his marriage and ultimately it led to a destruction of his marriage. And they got divorced, and it was very heavy and very sad, and it was very difficult. And then through all that divorce, you know, he really had a hard relationship with his kids. And it was, I was just really sad for him. And, and yet in this past year, as we were meeting together a few times, I got to hear what God was doing in his life. And through all of that destruction of his marriage, his family, he had kind of 
doubted God and, and walked away from his faith. But in this last year, you know, he described what God was doing in his life. That literally, as it got so difficult for him, he couldn't take care of himself any longer. And his ex-wife, who they literally had had no relationship for a number of years, his ex-wife reached out to him and said, come and live with me, I'm going to take care of you. And she took care of him the last six or seven months of his life. And there literally became days, the last couple of months, he couldn't do anything for himself, and she was doing everything. And through all of that, God worked a, a restoration of their relationship and it was a restoration of friendship that they literally became friends again and and god was able to restore even his relationship with his children the last few months of his life it's really a a miracle quite honestly and it's amazing how god brings about restoration in our lives and sometimes that restoration isn't in the timing or the way that we hope or expect that it will happen and yet god still does this a miracle work of restoration and that's Kind of what happened in their lives. It wasn't what they hoped for, but God did this really, really beautiful work. And He's working about restoration at all times. We also see in this passage that God is going to remove shame. He's going to take shame away. Twice in the verses 26 and 27, He says He's going to remove shame or disgrace in Israel. In this particular situation, the people of Israel had brought down their this shame on themselves because of what they had done, their disobedience to God and their sin. And, and God promises that he's going to remove their shame and their guilt, and forgiveness happens, and grace happens, and mercy happens. And, and God takes away all these things. He takes away the shame of Israel. He reminds them that their identity is not in their disobedience or in their sin toward God. Their identity is in their relationship with God. That God chose them and He remains their God. He did not leave them. But He still continued to have this relationship with Israel. Look at verse 27. It says, Then you will know that I am among the people, my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Does God do all these things for Israel because the people deserve it? Boy, if you've been reading the prophets the last seven weeks, you know they didn't deserve anything from God, right? The answer is no. So why does God offer them the promise and the hope of restoration? You know, Israel had repeatedly disobeyed God. They'd worshipped other gods. They'd worshipped idols. They had done evil deeds in the sight of God. And so why does God... Give them this amazing promise and this work of restoration because he stays true to his covenant. To his covenant that he made with his people. He stayed true to that covenant. God doesn't reject Israel because of her sin and her failure just as he doesn't reject us. He desires repentance. He he desires true sorrow from our sins and a turning away from those sins and a turning to faithfully following and being in relationship with Him. He doesn't abandon us to face our sin and our challenges alone. No, God remains faithful to His promised relationship to Israel and to us. And God responds through promised restoration of what previously had been destroyed. And our God is not a debtor. Our God doesn't file bankruptcy in relationship to us. No, no, He makes good on His promises beyond what is lost, right? Going beyond enough, he gives resources to the overflowing 
is what we see in this passage. And then there's a whole section in this chapter that begins in verse 28 uh, that's a prophecy on Joel's part, which the Apostle Peter in the New Testament points out happens directly on the day of Pentecost when the church is born. These are still promises that the Lord gives to us today. Let's pick it up in verse 28 and continue reading in this chapter. It says, Then, after doing all these things, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your men, old men, will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my Spirit even on servants, men and women alike, and I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark And the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion and Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. So God moves forward in his message to Joel and to the people of Israel. And he promises, he promises to do something he's never done before. He promises to pour out His Holy Spirit on all people who follow Him. On everyone, not just a few, not just on the holy, on anyone who believes in those who follow God. This is going to be a new age that God is talking about. This is going to be a time where God says He's going to give dreams and visions. It's going to be a time when a personal relationship with a holy and a just God is established as a reality. And we know that reality is possible today because of Christ. And Jesus changes everything for us. Joel describes a display of God's power in verses 30 and 31. He describes salvation in verse 32. And he describes deliverance in verse 32 as well. Power, salvation, deliverance. Joel is describing a God who is for us, not a God who's against us. He describes a God of ultimate power and and endless love. Joel sees a God of justice in might and in control and honestly that's what we want isn't it we want god to be power salvation and deliverance love just and in control in the midst of sorrow we want him to be all of those things and even more so what's that mean let's take a moment we've been in this place in joel and and thinking about israel but let's drill down and go what's okay what's that mean for us today You know, what are our feelings that we're sensing or having about current events that we find ourselves facing today? You know, COVID-19 challenges continue today, whatever you want to make of that. Uh, Concerns about the economy seem to be pressing, and we've got political and racial tensions that continue. And then, you know, each of us, or some of you, probably have some personal challenges or heaviness or discouragement that you may be facing that maybe others aren't, but it's real in your life. So what type of emotions seem to be prevalent in all of this? Well, there's emotions like stress and hostility and worry, fear, guilt, anger, discouragement, weariness, sorrow. Those are all feelings that I think are really around pretty prevalent today. And I want us to understand that God is offering joy in the journey of sorrow. And that he promises that there'll be joy after sorrow. God does not always prevent bad things from happening in our world or in our lives. He doesn't because God allows us to have free will. He allows us to make mistakes. He 
He lets sin happen. He allows disasters. This is simply the truth of life on earth. God does not prevent all evil or bad things from happening. Bad things happen to all people. He does, however, give us the means, the provision through those hard times. God provides help and grace and deliverance and justice and power and comfort in sorrow, in the sorrow, until we get to the other side of the disaster where his fullness of his joy awaits us. I just want to say that again. I I believe God provides help and grace and deliverance and comfort and justice and power in sorrow until we can make it through the disaster to the other side where the fullness of his joy awaits us. And as I kind of come to the end of this message, I I just want to point, point out an important part of the chapter 2 of Joel. I think it's especially important if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, maybe you don't know that much about God, but this verse, verse 32, says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want us to just note the word everyone. That means that anyone, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, that anyone can be in a relationship with, with God. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. God wants everyone to come to him. He doesn't want anyone to be separate, separated from him. I also want us to look at the words, calls on the name of the Lord. This is an act of faith. This is confessing that Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is Christ, that Jesus is the Son of the living God. And, and literally, that calling on the name of the Lord means placing our faith in Jesus and turning away from our past sin and, and turning toward God and following God and God's heart and God's will for our lives. I also want us to note the word saved. Salvation means that we're forgiven of our sins and we're given a clean slate by God. And we have no need to feel guilty or bogged down by our past sins or by our mistakes. That God gives grace and mercy in place of sinfulness and death. Again, verse 32 says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to close the message with prayer. And as I pray, I'm also at the end of the prayer going to just say a prayer of of salvation. And if you are ready to receive Christ today as your Savior, if you want to make that decision, I'm just going to invite you at the end of the prayer to pray my words quietly in your heart. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word that comes to us from Joel. And God... There are times that life is dark and it's difficult and we're just wondering if it's ever going to change. And generally all of us go through those periods of time. And so, God, we're grateful that we can have words of encouragement that, that you're in the middle of that, God, that you're not a distant, far away God who abandons us, but you're a God who's present, who's always working and working restoration, God. That you're going to restore things that have been broken, lost, or have died. And God, we pray that you give us faith. If, if, if we're one of those people in that hard place, God that, God, that you just give us a mustard seed of faith to continue to hold on even when it seems too hard or too difficult. And God, trusting that at some point you're going to bring a sunrise to the night of darkness into our lives. Daybreak will come through. And God, we're grateful for the promises that we have through Christ. 
that we can see things that Joel never saw. And God, we know we're still waiting with hope and promise for the return of Christ. And God, I just want to take time to pray for those in the room that are ready to make a decision to turn away from walking away from you to a relationship with you and to trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. So just pray with me if you're in that place. Jesus, thank you for coming and taking on our flesh, being God and man, fully God, fully man. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And God, thank you for what you've done. And Jesus, I'm sorry for the sins that I've committed, the mistakes that I've made, and I ask that you would forgive me of those things and that you would help me to trust you. And Jesus, I want to make the decision to ask you to be the Lord and the leader of my life. And my goal is to follow you faithfully from this point forward. So Jesus, help me in my journey to follow you, to be your disciple. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning we're going to move from the message to the Lord's table. I think this is really a beautiful place to come, especially as we've worked through the Old Testament prophets. And we've heard about the discouragement and the desperation of Israel and their, their difficulty as they were experiencing consequences because of their sin. And, and yet through all of it, there were signs of hope that God was doing something new and that God had promised that there was going to be a Redeemer that would come, a Messiah, a Savior who would restore what was lost and what was broken. And we, we come to this table recognizing, looking backward, that Christ, God's Son, came and became that Redeemer. He became the one who gave His life as a sacrifice for our lives, for our sin, so that we might be forgiven and we might have true life in and through Him. And that God raised Him from the dead through His power. And so we celebrate today, but we also celebrate having the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. But yet, we're not there yet, right? Because Christ returned back to heaven. And we have the promise that He will return at some point to bring fully the kingdom of God, to restore all that has been broken and lost. But we look at the world that we're in now, and we see a lot of problems, don't we? We experience pain and difficulty, even in our own lives, even when we are in a relationship with the Lord. But even though we go through those things, we go through those things with God, God's presence with us, that Christ is with us, His Holy Spirit is with us. And so as we gather at the table, hear the words of the Lord that the Apostle Paul has given to us. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, He broke it, saying, This is my body. Eat this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup also, saying, This cup represents a new covenant through my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul tells us that we're to continue to eat this bread and drink this cup, and in so doing, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the gift of Christ. God, we're grateful that you did a new thing, that you provided a Redeemer, someone who came to restore our relationship, our broken, fractured relationship with you, and that only Christ could accomplish that for us. We thank you for his life that was perfect and holy, his sacrifice that was full and complete, 
His life for our lives, God. His blood for our forgiveness. And so, Lord, we're grateful. And, God, we're grateful that, um, that we can walk in new life in Christ. And, God, we recognize that there are times we still fall short, that we still struggle with sin, that we still fail you. We still don't do the things we should and don't do the things we shouldn't. And so, God, we, we are grateful that we can come to you and that we can confess those sins to you and that you promise us, you tell us that as we confess those sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wrongdoing. And so, God, we walk in that promise, thankful for Christ's sacrificial life on the cross. God, we pray you'd help us to be found faithful as your disciples. Lord, help us, even when we struggle with discouragement or difficulty, God, that we can hang on to you and know that the future is hopeful. The future is bright in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, if you're watching online, we'd invite you, if you haven't already, to get some crackers or some bread and some juice, and we'd enjoy having you partake in the Lord's Supper with us. For those of us who are in the room, we're going to invite you, as Paul plays the song, to come up as you're able to get the cup and the bread. And we'd invite you to get this and to hold on to that until everybody has been served. And as you come this morning, I'm going to invite you, the stairs are going to be open. If you'd like to kneel and pray, if there's something that's a difficult thing or a dark thing in your life right now, and you're asking God for hope, you know, offer that. If there's somebody you want to pray for that may be in that place, you can do that. If you feel more comfortable, you'd rather do that at your seat, you can return to your seat and spend time in prayer and reflection. You know, again, it's a wonderful time if we want to confess our sins and and ask for forgiveness to be able to do that as well. So I want to invite you now to come and to receive these gifts of grace. And let's enjoy as we dine with the Lord.
touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, turning lives around. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, mending every heart. I worship you. This is the body of Christ, broken for you and me. Eat in remembrance of him. This is the blood of Christ, shed for you and me for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. I want to invite you to stand as you're able for the benediction. As you stand, just want to encourage our prayer team to gather to the right in the glass hallway. If you're in need of prayer this morning, you can go there after the service is over. I'm sure they would be honored to be able to pray with you and pray for you. And I want to encourage you, if you prayed to receive Christ this morning at the end of the message with me, praise the Lord. All of heaven is celebrating right now that decision. 
But also, I want to encourage you to go and to uh, share that with those that are in the prayer team. And, and they'll pray for you and encourage you and give you some resources to get started in your walk with Christ. So as we close this morning, I just want to close with the word that there is nothing that is impossible with our God. There may be something that is dark and heavy that you've begun to lose hope about. But again, nothing is impossible with our God. If our God can raise a dead man from the grave after three days, anything is possible. And to know that God is working in our lives, in our world, to bring about restoration. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Go in the grace and the knowledge of this. Amen.